Hey there, it's Gary Parish. It's uh, Friday, January the 13th. It's Friday the 13th. Scary stuff. Welcome back to the Ion College Basketball Podcast. Got Matt Norlander with me, and, and I want to start with this. Is Friday the 13th still a thing? Is that still something that kids go, oh, it's Friday the 13th? Uh, you know, don't go outside at night. Is that still a thing that matters today? Or was it just a thing to us because we grew up with the Friday the 13th films? You know what? I don't think – because here's the thing. I feel like when I was in grade school, GP, I was very aware of it. And maybe because we were closer to the Friday the 13th films and all that stuff. But I did not know it was Friday the 13th until you just said it. How about that? So I don't I don't think it is as culturally relevant as it is – you know, as it was 15, 30 years ago especially – so and I'm having a good day. I mean, it's 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 been a good day for the most part here. Um, but yeah, I, I don't necessarily. And I'm I'm not one that, like, I don't believe I don't believe in ghosts. Do you believe in ghosts? Um, I never seen one. I I I would say no. But like, if you want to believe in them because you you thought you saw one one time at your grandmother's house, it's fine with me. I don't care. I don't. I one of my uh I don't want to say it's a rule. It as much as it's just like true. I don't get involved with what people believe in. Like I, I like life's hard. If you believe in whatever you need to believe in to get through the days, that's fine with me. Yeah, and here's my thing. So even if they exist, I think I'm cool with it because there's, to my knowledge, there's never been death by ghost. So right. I, I can't ever remember any anyone ever you know being killed by one of these spirits. You know, maybe freaked out of their mind or whatever. But I think we're pretty cool when it comes to that kind of stuff. Like there's a. Uh, there's a famous, I'm sure you've heard of this, but like NBA teams won't stay at this famous hotel in, in Oklahoma, Oklahoma City, right? Because it's like apparently like, you know, unequivocally haunted. The the evidence is all in, but even then, like maybe it's gonna keep you up a little bit. But I don't know. You just it's it's it is funky that my I think my wife does believe in in ghosts and spirits, but. I've never had any reason to believe it, and even if I felt I was in the presence of one, I'm, I just might put on some Run the Jewels, chill out, and be cool with it. Yeah, like listen, ain't no, ain't no ghost ever caused no problem for me. I, I got more, of, I got problems with humans, not ghosts. Ghost ain't my problem. <laughs> but that is interesting. I'm gonna when we get through with this podcast, actually do some research on this, which I, I imagine somebody's had to write about this at some point. Was was Friday the Thirteenth like this day? Did it used to be something bigger than it was solely because of that? movie franchise like we grew up with it like there was a time where there was no scenario under which it could be friday the 13th and you wouldn't be aware that it was friday the 13th and yet just like you said you had no idea today was friday the 13th and i knew it was friday the 13th because like i had a flight on friday the 13th i just sort of noticed it but it's it's not something that made me even blink like oh no I'm getting on a flight on friday the 13th is this wise like i didn't even think about it in those terms and, and yet like nine-year-old me would have absolutely thought about it in those terms. So uh, I'm going to do some research on that, and we will uh, we'll follow up on this on on uh, Monday's podcast. Uh, interesting night college basketball last night, I guess. I always say it was an interesting night in college basketball. It's not always an interesting night, but it was interesting on some level. Cincinnati got a win over SMU to take sole possession first place in the American Athletic Conference. Congratulations to Mick Cronin. But uh, the most interesting thing happened – I guess technically Friday morning uh, because that game didn't end, the UCLA-Colorado game, till after 1 a.m. Eastern. 
UCLA won by 15 points. I don't think that's that surprising given that you know UCLA has won most of its games by double digits. They made a school record 19 three-pointers. Bryce Offord made nine of them. He finished with a career-high 37 points. Uh, UCLA now has the top-ranked uh, uh, offense in the country in terms of offensive efficiency. Uh, they're shooting better than anybody else in the country from three-point range. I think they're fourth in the nation in two-point range. I believe they're playing at a top 10, maybe top 15 tempo. Uh, none of this is new, um, but uh, it is. last night was a reminder. We are watching a historically great offensive college basketball team. And I think the most fun and entertaining team in college basketball, and I know you tweeted it earlier today, that you've almost reached the point where it doesn't even matter to you uh, how the bracket looks on Selection Sunday, you're just going to go ahead and pencil UCLA, UCLA into a regional final, and then you'll figure out who they got to play in the Elite Eight, but you won't eliminate them uh, prior to that. I think I'd take it a step further. I'm ready to, I think I'm ready to just put them in the Final Four because, yes, the way they do not guard sometimes, it's, it's bothersome and, and you know, could lead to them just getting beat 92-91. Like, I, I, I recognize that's a possibility, but, man, I love great offensive teams. And uh, what I've seen both in person and oftentimes on television this season is that uh, their amazing offense is a much bigger problem for other teams than their lackluster defense is for them. In other words, um, they're going to score. Can you keep up? And what we found, uh, almost without exception, is that teams can't keep up with them. And Colorado couldn't keep up with them last night. Colorado shot the ball well, two, and still got run off the court. Yeah, and Colorado is was a team, actually. They're, they're just having a whatever season at this point. Uh, Tad Boyle's a good coach. They were projected to be a top yeah. five, top six team in the Pac-12. It's not worked out, but still. They, they, and they looked the part early, at least. They, yeah. they, they beat Xavier at, at, in Colorado. So they beat a legitimate top 20 team or at least a legitimate top 25 team, depending on what you think of Xavier at this moment. But, like, uh, a good team we already know in this season has lost at Colorado, and UCLA didn't even come close to losing. Yeah, and Colorado's just they, – they've totally stumbled here. They're, they're not off to a good start. And UCLA goes into that building and doesn't have any issues whatsoever, puts up more than 100 again. And, listen, someone had pointed out when I tweeted that – I quote tweeted you. Someone said, I think you tweeted the same thing about this time last year about Michigan State. <laughs> which if that if I did hey listen that's part of the the gloriousness of the tournament is that you will have team like no one could have ever pictured Michigan State not winning at least one game in the tournament and they go down to Middle Tennessee even more so with UCLA I cannot envision a scenario of a two seed UCLA team losing to a 15 with this that is unthinkable to me and because of how good they are offensively and how reliable they are and how many weapons they have it would be super interesting if they got slammed up with West Virginia, who is so so the antithesis of UCLA because no stars will press you. I did a piece on West Virginia earlier this week that detailed basically how it's not just West Virginia's press because they press 44% of the time. It's not what they do on every single possession, but they use it strategically and they are a defense that adapts in many different kinds of ways with presses and traps and they even zone so to see a team like that go up against ucla i would still pick ucla but it would be super intriguing i would root for a matchup like that in the second weekend in the tournament because i think it would give us the most interesting possible uh tilt in the tournament that's what the tournament's for but it would be so hard for me against basically any team 
before the Elite Eight to, to say that they're going to knock off UCLA. Now, we'll see, GP, we'll see what happens in the next six, six weeks. They're going to take another loss, I think. I think they're going to take another loss. Yeah, I mean, it'll be at Arizona, or it could be it could be at Utah this weekend. I mean, you know, like good. it's hard to win on the road. Go ask uh, back Purdue. Back, right? Go ask Purdue. Exactly. Purdue takes a, a loss at Iowa, which, by the way, shouldn't be totally stunning, even though Iowa's not great. It's just hard. You get picked off here and there. And, yeah, UCLA's got to go back-to-back in the mountain air. You know what? I've never seen a game at Utah, and I've never seen a game at Colorado. I can't speak to how much the altitude truly 100% is a factor, but it's something that people talk about. So maybe it also will be something that UCLA's hit with. They like to run. Are they going to run out of gas? I don't know. I think they're going to win. But they could lose. I, I, I've been to both of those places and I, uh, for a game. I've been to Utah for a game, been to Colorado for a game. I'll say this. Altitude didn't affect me at all. You're, you're able to file without. <laughs> I was able to file it. I was I was able to file a column at the exact same pace uh, that I normally would file a column. I had no issues. It is funny because um, we were talking about this last night in studio. I was on set with Seth Davis. Shout out to Seth Davis. Shout out to Devin Downey, uh, Danny Granger, and Brent Stover. And Danny, you know, has played in in in, in Denver. You know, and in, in, and he said it does. You know, Danny Granger's. You know, he obviously played had a long NBA career. He said it does matter. But I wonder if it's one like how much does it actually matter? Because it feels like one of those things that just everybody says when you got when you got to go to Colorado or Denver or Utah. And you know, do we have any like actual evidence of how much it actually plays a role? I it's it feels a little bit like to me. How people say, you know, when you're playing in a dome, going to be tough to shoot the ball. And, like, I, actually, the evidence says that's not true. Right. I wonder if this is similar. Right. I don't know because what you're going to have is obviously the home court advantage is going to matter similarly to the rate that it generally matters in college basketball. Right. Like, you know, that's going to, that's going, there's going to be a, a causation correlation uh, there. I don't know. I do think I saw, think this is true, but like, sometime in the in the past half decade or so someone did the the research on like long distance field goals when they play broncos games in the thin air does have an impact like the success rate for 50 yard plus field goals when you play well that's clear that, yeah right. so I'm, I'm saying when it comes to that i think there has been when it comes to any sort of you know undeniable success rate for wyoming new mexico utah byu colorado colorado state does the altitude there I don't know. I, I really don't know. Um, but it is something people say, for sure. Without a doubt. It just it is a default go-to talking. <laughs> so I, I don't know. We'll see. But on generally speaking with UCLA, it just the more I watch them, the more I love them. You know, Bryce Alford almost goes for 40, and it just gives us a chance to real quick, real quickly remind everyone that he was their best player last year. He has been able to take a new role, one that's better suited to his abilities, in my opinion, and he's not Lonzo. Lonzo is, is in command for player of the year on that team. And TJ Leaf is right behind him on the freshman of the year rankings. And by the way, Hamilton, I don't have this stuff up in front of me, but Hamilton led the team in scoring for a while. He might even still. And so if you want to take it from that angle and say Bryce, from a statistical standpoint, has been the fourth most important player. Oh, and oh, by the way, he can still go off when he wants to. Right. Score 37. That's why it's going to be so hard for me to not put UCLA into the final. Well, the, it's funny. Like people focus on what UCLA was last year, which was a bad team. They were fifteen and seventeen to what UCLA is now, which is one of the very best teams in, in the country. Uh, only one loss. That one loss, come, of course, coming at Oregon at the buzzer. Um, well, how do you do that? Well, it, it, here's the best way. 
enroll three NBA players, which is what they did, and make your best player from last year's team at best your third best player on this year's team, which is what they've done. They, you know, and this has been clear from the beginning. You don't have to be an NBA scout to, to pick up on this, but like Bryce is better when they ask him to do less. Um, but he can still go off, like you said, which he did last night. And check this out. He's now the 15th. Uh, he's now 15th on the all-time scoring list at UCLA. Think about all the amazing players who have played at UCLA. And I recognize used to be freshman ineligibility. Not everybody stays four years. Like, I got it. But still, um, he is 15th on the uh, UCLA all-time scoring list after that 37-point performance uh, last night. TJ Leaf, by the way, and I haven't updated the stats uh, today. So I'm not sure what it is through 18 games. I'm, I'm confident it's, it's, it's still similar to what I'm about to tell you. Um, but he's he through 17 games having a better freshman season uh, than Kevin Love had back in oh, 2007. Okay. Dude, check out what he's done in Pac-12 play because I did a, a quick piece on Ivan Rab earlier in the, in the week. And so I wanted to see if Rab had been the best player in Pac-12 play because Rab has taken – he's kind of taken off since uh, conference play began. Leaf has been – dude – He's been better. It's yeah. been crazy. Like he's been good all year. Don't get me wrong. But he's he's just a double double machine, uh, and it's just it's it's been awesome. Well, here, let me get, good. He still doesn't give enough get enough pub in my opinion. No, it is you know so Lonzo down. I I think you're exactly right. Here's the numbers. Um, he's averaging more points than Kevin Love did. Um, uh, fewer rebounds, but only by one. Like Kevin through 17 games averaged 10.2. TJ is averaging was averaging through 17 games 9.1. He's got more assists, fewer turnovers, more blocks, shooting better from the field, 65% to 60%, shooting better from three-point range, 49% to 36%. He's shooting 49% from three-point range. Like, he's just been terrific. I mean, off the charts. And you're exactly right. Lonzo has gotten so much attention, and he deserves it. He's terrific. Um, but TJ Leaf is having a an all-time great freshman season like it ain't quite Michael Beasley Kevin Durant but it is better than Kevin Love and uh if you're trying to figure out why UCLA is is operating at the level it's operating it's because a guy who is having a better freshman season than the freshman season Kevin Love had is not even the most discussed player on UCLA's team or the one who went for 37 points last night uh at Colorado I think I've got my new TV talking point on UCLA here's what it is I'm gonna practice it UCLA's offense, the problem it causes for other people, isn't nearly as big of an issue as their lackluster defense causes for themselves. You like that? that I do like it. You can sell it You can sell it well on TV. I can see you saying it right now, without a doubt. I'll say it while putting my hand up in the air and, and prefacing it by this, saying this. See, the thing people don't understand is I start so many <laughs> comments with, I, I'm always trying to tell you what you don't understand. <laughs> very respectful <laughs> so anyway ucla um and now they go to utah and we're going to talk about that uh, a little bit later on because i do think they will be uh, in a tough game there if only because almost regardless of who you are if you're on the road against a quality opponent i think utah is a quality opponent uh this college basketball season and really most college basketball seasons uh, seem to suggest that um you know you're going to be fortunate to get out of there uh, regardless of the of the final scores, win by ten, win by two. Uh, if you're on the road against a quality opponent, you you take it almost 
uh, no matter the circumstances. Let me tell you about SeatGeek. Buying tickets online for sports and concerts has been a confusing process for a long, long time. It's always been hard to find the best deal for that game or that concert that you want to attend, and, and none of the older ticket sites seemed interested in changing that. But then SeatGeek, SeatGeek came along, and it's different. They created an amazing app and website. They make it easier than ever for fans, for people, to buy and sell tickets. They're always the first place I go when I'm trying to buy tickets. First place Norlander goes when he's trying to buy tickets. And they do all the work for you. They handle the price comparison by searching multiple ticket sites. And that way you're going to be insured to get the best possible deal you can get. In other words, SeatGeek does the work and you save time and money. Use the promo code COLLEGEBB. That's important. COLLEGEBB. You'll get a $20 rebate off your first SeatGeek purchase. So get on it. Download the SeatGeek app. You know how to download an app. Go download the app. It's free. Purchase tickets. Use the promo code COLLEGEBB. And SeatGeek will send you $20 after you've made your first ticket purchase. Again, the promo code COLLEGEBB. That's SeatGeek. Millions of tickets in one place. So the interesting announcement from the NCAA earlier today. Uh, they're going to have an analytics convention, an analytics seminar. You tell me. I've been on a plane most of this afternoon. I haven't been able to dive into every story. Uh, you wrote about it. What did the NCAA exactly announce this afternoon? All right. So this is significant to me, and I think it's significant to all college basketball fans because I understand there's a certain diehard college hoops contingent that listens to this podcast loves the sport has Kempom subscriptions that makes up for a very small percentage of college basketball fans but when we get to selection sunday all college basketball fans of their teams care about where they're ranked what the metrics are for rpi maybe even Kempom, whatnot because that has influence on if they get into the tournament and if they do where they are seated now the criticism of the ncaa in recent years has been the over-reliance on the rpi which I'm going to be real quick here. The RPI was established more than three decades ago because at the time it was considered revolutionary as a way of giving you a ranking of every team in the sport when at the time there was just, you know, the AP and coaches poll and a, and a broad view of the top 25 teams. It didn't help when it came to selecting tournament teams. And that existed for about 20 years. And then slowly but surely, coaches started to game the RPI because they realized it's a very basic system. It's your, it's your strength of schedule and your opponent's strength of schedule and your opponent's opponent's strength of schedule. It is extremely fundamental and something that you can work around. And for a long time, most famously in the Missouri Valley, coaches scheduled knowing that they could afford to lose games but still have good RPI numbers and then therefore would qualify to be at large teams when they get into the tournament. But over the past decade or so, people have realized that the RPI just doesn't quite stand up to the likes of Sagarin and Ken Palm and the LRMC and the Massey ratings. And there's a lot of different metrics that go in. Some predictive, like Ken Palm is predictive. When you look at Ken Palm's rankings, it's not just looking at what's happened. It's looking at what should or could or it's, it's a much more all-encompassing uh, evaluative tool of college basketball. It's not perfect and no metric system is. But what the NCAA is going to do here is it's bringing in Ken Pomeroy, Kevin Paga, who works at Michigan State and started the KPI. It's going to bring Jeff Sagarin in. It's going to bring our buddy Andy Glockner in, who I don't know if Glockner's tweeted once about college basketball this year, but he used to do it a lot, and he's a smart dude. They're going to bring him in to talk. Um, ESPN's going to have one of their analytics guys go in and speak, and I think a few other guys are going to go in. And what they're going to do is they're going to discuss with Dan Gavitt and the members of the selection committee, they're basically going to start looking at, okay, if we're not just going to use the RPI, we can start to think about 
because they already used the other metrics and they have for a few years now in discussion but they have not had what i've been pushing for i remember writing about this before i got to cbs on my little dinky college basketball blog they need a composite because it will help if you take if you want to still include the rpi i won't fight that whatsoever but take kpi rpi ken palm sagarin lrmc bpi whatever you want you create a 1 to 351 composite. There is the technology, the formatting, the software to do all this stuff. And from that, you'll get a more balanced view. Now, it's not just that. There are other things in GP. I could talk about this for three hours because I care way too much about it. But to me, the important parts are not just having that data in front of you, but understanding what it means and getting rid of arbitrary cutoffs that can hurt other teams because we'll talk about top 50 wins but the reality is and i wrote this in the in the piece uh, on cbs sports winning at home against the number 27 team in a ranking is easier than going on the road and beating the number 51 ranked team because it is so much harder in college basketball to win on the road than to win at home and i have talked with gavitt i've talked with michigan state athletic director mark hollis who's the chairman of the committee this year i've talked to him about just being aware and not having necessarily dictate, but just understanding that winning on the road needs to take significant, it needs to be more significantly in the conversation and even losing, like for example, Butler losing by one point at Indiana State. Yes, mark it as a loss, that should be first and foremost. But when you're talking about seeding Butler, you need to be aware of the fact that it's not just a loss against the middle of the pack Missouri Valley team. Take into account when the game was played, where it was played, and how it, how it, you know, what the outcome was. Margin of victory should be in, involved in the discussions. So the big takeaway is the NCAA is being proactive. They want to get better. They want to do better. I think that they haven't gotten enough of their due over the past five or six years as they've tried to get better. And so now you're going to bring some of the smartest people behind mainstream metrics in to help that process. It's small steps, but good steps. Last thing, and I'll throw it back to you, GP. If this does, and I do believe that it will, if it does get implemented and there is a composite system and the team ranking sheets, which are so RPI-based, then become composite-based, which would be very, very good. If that happens, it won't It won't start until next year at the earliest. Yeah, I'm for the composite rankings. I think, listen, listen I'm for more information. You know, I, I look at not every um, uh, formula that you mentioned, but I, I look at Sagarin on the regular. I look at KPI on the regular. I look at Kinpom like multiple, like like every five minutes, um, you know. Yeah, like it's all in, in important. I, I just I, the only time I push back against it because I, I think it's fundamentally unwise to push back against it because it's there's some really smart stuff in there that you can learn about how the game's being played and about how teams are performing, what they're good at, what they're not. That traditional box scores just don't show you. Uh, for instance, you know, I, I think most people understand I host a radio show in Memphis, and so we end up talking about the University of Memphis. And if you look at their loss from, you know, against Tulsa the other night, which was a terrible loss because, you, you, you know, if, if only because it snapped a three-game losing streak and any uh, three-game winning streak and any kind of enthusiasm that uh, the fan base was starting to pick up, just sort of rips that right away but you looked at what their problems were in that game and they were um they were problems that have been problems throughout the year and i might not be able to identify that as well as as i was able to identify it without the kimpom numbers you know that that show you you know turnover percentages and and offensive rebounding percentages and i guess you can look find three-point field goal percentages pretty much anywhere but my point is like it, it is very very useful i use it uh, 
Uh, like they could charge five. Ken, don't do this. But like you could charge five hundred dollars for the website. I, I need it to do my to do my job effectively. I think. Um, I'm not trying to pretend I'm the smartest guy talking about basketball, but I I don't want to be the dumbest. So um, anybody who pushes back on this type of stuff is really doing themselves uh, a disservice. That said, the only time I do push back is when you know, like I wrote about UCLA late last night, and I talk about how. They're really only a Dylan Brooks three-point pointer at the buzzer from being undefeated at this point and being ranked number one in the country at this point and being somebody that we're probably talking about going undefeated, um, You know, which, which in other words means if a 35.9% three-point shooter didn't make a buzzer beater against them, they would be undefeated and ranked number one in the country right now. And immediately there was a comment on the column where somebody said, oh, well, they're 12th in Ken Bomb, so how could you say they're number one? Like, I don't care what Kim Palm's – like, the idea that Kim Palm says UCLA is 12th doesn't – isn't going to make me not have them in the top five. Like, the resume is the resume. Um, you know, they won at Rupp Arena. They've won everywhere else, usually convincingly except for at Oregon, and that was a buzzer-beater game that by definition could have went either way. UCLA is a top-five team. I've got them ranked second right now. That Kim Palm has them 12th is never going to move me off of that. And I hope that the committee never gets too caught up in that. And I, I think Jeff Eisenberg pointed this out earlier today. Like, the results have to be the most important thing. The results have to be the most important thing. Because the results, like who wins and who loses, like that's not the most important thing at Ken Palm. That's not like, – it's not the most important thing. And that's how you can have UCLA with this resume ranked 12th uh, there. So I, I just – I'm a big believer in all of the data is great. Take it in, um, you know, understand it. Um, even, even like make it second guess yourself. But the results have to matter. The resumes have to matter. And I would hate if we ever get to a point where one team clearly has a better resume than another team, but has an inferior data computer ranking. And therefore, is 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 doc, you know is discounted because of that, because at the end of the day, um, as complicated as this can get, and um, with all the information that's available today that wasn't available ten years ago, uh, the most important uh, information has always been there, and it still is. Who wins the games? Who loses the games? Where do your good wins come from? Where do your bad losses go to? I, whatever else we do, I just hope that remains the most important thing. I agree, and I'm going to try and make this succinct. So I do not believe that we'll ever get to the point that Eisenberg was writing about, was worried about, and what you're mentioning, because ultimately the people in that room are going to be comparing resumes, and while we might have an aberrational case every blue moon with the final team into the field getting in, if it's if its metric numbers are so strong versus another team. That's Wichita State last year, right? Yes. And and I and I'm I'm listen, we were in early on it and just it wasn't just us. There was a lot of discussion about Wichita State last year and I do believe that that had an impact on the committee and that's fine by the way because I do believe Wichita State was worthy of being in. The distinctions that need to be continually made crystal clear is best teams Versus most deserving teams, and basically the distinctions there are best teams is predictive, most deserving is resume. The committee should never, ever, ever, ever seed the tournament 
based on how it thinks teams are going to do. It hasn't done that. I don't think that it ever will do that. It should seed the tournament based on what you've done. Now, it gets granular because there are so many games and there are so many teams. There are data points that cross-reference each other. And it, and honestly, it's why I freaking love it because it's fun. It's, a, it's messy. It's imperfect. And it's great because we don't want this to be the BCS. We don't want this to be a formulaic system where we basically know where everyone's going to be slotted. You need to allow humans to debate this, to occasionally contradict each other. Hey, by the way, that's good for college basketball when we discuss and we debate. This is just trying to make the system a little better, more transparent, using more data points. But at the same time, they can still and will use the eye test. And some people cringe at that, but let's be real here. Like, that is that will impact how people select one seeds and two seeds and three seeds. It will be part of the discussion. It is and always should be. The human element to the selection is, to me, just it's so important. So this is positive news moving forward. And I do not believe that we'll get to a point. I just don't I don't ever see it happening. And it shouldn't ever happen. They're not going to be slaves to the metrics. They are simply going to use them more consistently and hopefully more responsibly and understand the numbers better to make better decisions and it won't just be RPI based anymore and that's great news. Uh, busy Saturday of college basketball. I think that's probably the case uh, every Saturday between now and the, and the and the end of the season. A uh, handful of games that are interesting. A lot of games that are interesting but I want to focus on a handful. Uh, let's just pop through these pretty quickly. Uh, Baylor at Kansas State. Baylor is a one-point favorite as we speak. We were on television last night, and we were previewing this game or just discussing this game, and I, I, I said, I hope Baylor wins. And Seth was like, well, you hope, like, oh, so you hate Kansas State? And I was like, no, 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 I don't hate Kansas State. And I've always been an enemy of Bruce Weber. <laughs> and and in, in fairness, like, I wish I would have said that differently or at least had time to expand because, like, Bruce Weber's fighting for his job. And, and like, at this point, it looks like he's going to keep it because he's doing a hell of a job. Um, but, like, when you enter the season on a hot seat and it doesn't go well, well, that, that might be it for you. So uh, the idea that anybody would be rooting against that is just, uh, I guess somebody might, but it wouldn't be me. Um, what I meant by that, was that this has been an unbelievable week for Baylor. You know, they become number one in the country for the first time in history for two reasons. A, they ran an undefeated record through last Saturday. And B, Villanova happened to lose last week at Butler. So it gave everybody the opportunity to push Baylor to the top of the rankings, and enough people did to where they were ranked number one in the country for the first time in school history. And then the schedule was just – and this it's totally coincidental – but it's incredibly unfortunate because rather than have winnable games or at least games you're supposed to win, like home games against inferior opponents, uh, after you get that ranking, you immediately have to go to West Virginia, which is just a nightmare. Like I didn't think they were going to get run off the court like that. We've talked about this, but I, I did think they would lose. And now you got to go to Kansas State, which is historically a tough place to win. And, I mean, Kansas barely won there, didn't they? Or no, was that game at Allen Fieldhouse? Yeah, yeah that was the game at Allen Fieldhouse, right? Yeah, where's so like the Kansas Kansas State game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so Kansas is barely beating Kansas State. Almost nobody can go to Kansas State. It's just tough. I don't care. Like you can be a legitimate top ten team going to Kansas State. Like might put you in a bad spot. And so when I say I hope Baylor wins, it's not because I'm rooting against Kansas State. Um, it's that people are so anxious to be dismissive of Baylor anyway 
that if Baylor is a team that becomes number one in the country and then immediately gets blown out at West Virginia and then right after that loses at Kansas State, people will use it to explain to you Baylor never was any good, Baylor didn't deserve its number one ranking, Baylor sucks, so on and so forth, where in reality, uh, this is what I think is true. Baylor's a legitimate top ten team that should have lost at West Virginia and could maybe lose at Kansas State. So it, it even if they lose, it won't mean what some people will insist it means, but whoa boy, people are going to use it to draw all sorts of big con- uh, conclusions. So what's your question? <laughs> are you also rooting for Baylor to, to destroy Bruce Weber's career? <laughs> um, I'm not rooting for Baylor to destroy. <laughs> Baylor, to me, is a top 10 team, and winning at Kansas State would help val- validate that opinion. Um we don't have a line yet, do we? I just told you the line, dummy. Baylor minus one. That's the line. The line has come out. Um, um, yeah, that's about that's about right. Oh, man. Am I rooting for Baylor? No, I'm not rooting for Baylor. But you know what? For the Big 12, hmm, I don't know what the better outcome is, GP. Uh, Kansas State hasn't had a game yet that's been premier. Just brought up their resume. Man. They are lacking. They are lacking in a big way here. Only only good wins are Texas and Oklahoma, and those aren't good wins. Those are the two highest-rated wins. So Kansas State actually needs this one in order to build an NCAA tournament resume. Uh, interesting one. That's a 4:30 tip on Saturday. What else you want to hit? Uh, Duke. Okay, so you're taking who? You taking? Uh, you caught me. I uh, will take Kansas State. I'm taking I'm Baylor. Taking, I'm predicting Kansas State wins. I'm taking Baylor minus the one. Duke at Louisville. Let's just pop through these. Through these. Louisville uh, minus three. I will take Louisville. Actually, uh, our good friend Jeff Greer. Shout out to Jeff Greer. Hey, shout out to Jeff Greer. I predicted 76-72 Louisville because Duke will not have, or at least they are not expected as of us recording this podcast, to have Emil Jefferson on the floor. I also responded to Jeff Greer's direct message, and I think I picked Louisville 77-70, and we had to provide a sentence. This was my sentence. Louisville is at home, uh, healthy, and with its Hall of Fame coach. Duke is none of those things. Boom. I bet you my sentence was better than your sentence. Can you top that sentence? I can't. <laughs> We're both taking Louisville minus the three. Florida State at North Carolina. North Carolina minus seven. Florida State to cover. Give me Carolina. Carolina 88-83. Could be a good game. Man, if Florida State wins this, Ooh. oh boy. Ooh. We'll be talking about them. And the... The general consensus around Florida State, if they are able to beat Duke and Carolina in back-to-back games, will be Florida State national title contenders. Now, in a certain way, they should already be considered that. But the fact of the matter is it's not a traditional basketball school. We're not used to seeing Florida State get more than halfway through its schedule with only one loss. So they'll start gaining a lot of attention, some of it which was lost after the Grayson Allen latest hubbub uh, in the previous game. So if this game against UNC goes off without an incident, then look out. But I do think Carolina is going to win. Super intrigued. That's a 2 p.m. tip on Saturday. That one, I think, can be uh, pretty fantastic. UNC will not have reserve freshman, a good player, Tony Bradley. He's out with concussion protocol. Uh, I, I think you got it right. Uh, North Carolina wins. Florida State covers. Uh, UCLA at Utah. 
UCLA minus six. UCLA to cover. Um, just barely. I'll give it uh, uh, 91-84 UCLA. And why not? Lonzo Ball with a near triple-double. Let's say 15 points, 11 dimes, 9 boards per ball. I think UCLA wins. Utah covers. I think it'll be one of those games you look up final minutes. UCLA is like in a real game. And they'll pull it out. Um, but just winning on the road in the league, man, against a quality opponent, it's just tough. Like, if you can go get those, um, congratulations. So I think UCLA wins it. But um, I was going to say I'll be surprised if they run away from Utah. At this point, I won't be surprised if UCLA runs away from anybody. Like, they basically ran away from Kentucky at Kentucky. If you could do that at Rupp, you can certainly do it in Salt Lake City. But – uh, the official pick would be uh, UCLA wins, Utah covers the plus six in the last game, which will be late night, which should be terrific. St. Mary's at Gonzaga. Uh, St. Mary's 15-1, Gonzaga 16-0. Gonzaga minus six. Who you got? I have Gonzaga minus six. I'm actually most excited to watch this game because, hell, man, St. Mary's is really good too, and Gonzaga is going for an undefeated season. I'll say Gonzaga. Man, St. Mary's likes to slow it. Um, Gonzaga, 72-62. I think they I think they are able to pull away. I'd love to see a close game. St. Mary's swept the Zags yep. last season. People might forget that. Last time, last time the uh, Zags lost inside the kennel was to St. Mary's last February. Yep, and I think Gonzaga will get revenge. It would make for a, a hell of a plot twist if, if St. Mary's can go in and pull the upset and Gonzaga's undefeated season, and in the process really boost its NCAA tournament profile to get a win like that would be a pretty impressive road win. But I do think Gonzaga uh, wins it. Real quick, GP, you didn't ask it, but I'm just going to bring attention to it. Wichita State's been totally off the radar so far this season because they don't have a ton of resume wins or whatever, but they play at Illinois State. Those are both They're undefeated. Both undefeated, right, yeah. Right, they're both undefeated. They were expected to be the two best teams in the league entering the season. Um, so it's a huge game in the Valley. And if Wichita State wins that game, then they could be entering into a situation where they could they could run the table in the Valley. And if they did that, they might be able to get a good seed. We haven't paid much attention yet to Wichita State. We might start doing more so if they're able to pull off the win. Or if they're not, we can look at Illinois State as a legitimate contender to steal back the Valley title from the Shockers if they can do that so that's just that's an off the radar game eight o'clock on saturday night but it is uh i don't consider st mary's gonzaga in any way to be a mid-major game in wichita state's on a mid-major program if you want to qualify a best mid-major quote-unquote game of the weekend it is shockers at redbirds on saturday yeah and that's ultimately the problem for wichita state to the extent that it's a problem they have accomplished so much under greg marshall and become like a legitimate national brand like wichita state matters now you know, and it doesn't hurt that Ron Baker is having, you know, Ron and Fred are both in the NBA, like on the actual rosters, and Ron's actually playing uh, in New York City. So um, all of that's good stuff. And, like, even if you're a high major program, when you beat Wichita State, it means something to you. Like, Wichita State's a brand now. But um, if they're unranked, they're off the radar. You know, you just don't stumble into them too often. And, um, I mean, I do and you do, but the casual college basketball fan probably has no idea that Wichita State is on the road tomorrow in a game between two unbeaten MVC schools. They would know maybe if Wichita State had even a 25 beside its name. But once Wichita State took those early losses, uh, including, I I think, a pretty uh, overwhelming home loss to Oklahoma State, um, it knocks them out of the rankings. And 
uh, a school like that is the best example of how national rankings actually do matter. I know they don't determine, you know, who wins a trophy or not, but they matter in this sense. They keep you on a radar, uh, particularly if you otherwise wouldn't be on it. And I think Wichita State is experiencing that uh, this season. Remember, you can subscribe to the Island College Basketball Podcast on iTunes. That's the best way to get the latest episodes as quickly as possible. So please do that. Uh, thank you all for listening. If you need me uh, on Saturday, I will be handling sideline duty for the Memphis-South Florida game inside FedEx Forum. Short of that, uh, we're going to talk to you again on Sunday night. Till then, take care.